Listening to Cannabis Corner on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, broadcasting live from downtown New Haven. We are streaming live on TuneIn Radio and NewHavenIndependent.org. We're also streaming live video on Facebook. Just go to Facebook.com slash New Haven Independent or go to your Facebook page, look us up, and you can also hit see first to hear all the great programs we have here on WNHH. And Cannabis Corner is also streaming on ProCannabisMedia.com and Greenhaven Media Facebook. So you can find us all over the internet. It is Monday, March the 20th, 2023. I'm your host, Joe Lachance. Welcome to Cannabis Corner. And I am joined by my illustrious co-host, the one and only (laughs) Mr. Luis Vega, Uncle Lou. How are you today, Lou? How's it going? It's going well. I'm, uh, you know, enjoying the day. It's been a long week, <clears throat> fresh off of Nikan from Boston. So that was a good week to finish that. Still even more work going forward. Now moving into the next set of things that we're all doing. You know what I mean? It's Nikan, yes. uh, Connecticut is coming up. Expo Cans this weekend. Uh, there's a Gene Traders for Women's in New York. There's so many different things going on. Matter of fact, our good friends over at Elevate have a nice online event this week. If people want to uh, attend that, it is online, so it's virtual. It is is on Wednesday at 6 p.m., the 22nd. That is Consumer and Workplace Safety, and it is an Elevate Northeast Community Conversation Series. So this is about... uh, it's time to address consumer and worker safety in cannabis. And uh, so uh, it's a it's a nice discussion that the, our good friends at Elevator hosting. And so if you want to attend that, you can find it on they, Facebook. I shared it yeah. today. They're doing a whole bunch of really cool things. You know what I mean? Yeah, those guys up there are really taking care of Massachusetts real well, making sure people get educated and uh, things like that. So did you um, attend this UConn thing that went on this week? Were you I up did there? Get uh get up there. A lot of really awesome people were up there. I heard, heard, I heard really good things about the event as well. Um, our good friend, Mike Goodenough, got to speak. He did a symposium. Our friend mm-hmm. Uzma also spoke. Um, our friend Aaron Gorman was up there. So it's it's really cool to see and see that more academia is going on. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. And I think Mike is bringing a bunch of UConn uh, professors down to NECAN to do a panel. Yep, yep, So yep. that should be uh, a real good time. Uh, that's good. And Uzma is going to be on the show in a couple of weeks. That's right. And oh, she was uh, Lady Jane's 
highlighted female entrepreneur in cannabis today. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, because our friend Taina Hercules has put out a series. Last week, she uh, she had our great friend Kibra as, as one of the celebrated women, and now our new friend Uzma. And um, Uzma's with the botanist and then helped right. us out with our community conversation for Nordalist Botanicals, just about terpene profiles and cannabinoids. So she's a subject matter expertise in cannabinoids and terpenes. Just and she's a doctor herself, right? Yeah, a pharmacist yes. with a doctor. Yes. Yeah. Registered pharmacist. Yeah, so very you good. Know, there's there's a lot going on in this in this uh, crazy kooky cannabis world, you know. Well, there's just a lot of so many areas that people can get into. Um, like you know. Like you say, you you uh, you're a pharmacist, but you're you're an expert in terpenes and cannabinoids. So she's out there right. speaking now, right. rather than just be a pharmacist at a dispensary. So right. you know, people are out there spreading their knowledge, and I think that's a good thing. And I think we're going to see more and more of these symposiums and and little small little conferences and big conventions popping up over the years you know well you know like the Yukon event was a little different because that was a symposium about science it was the science-based application of what cannabis is open to the public obviously but you found more professionals in that space they may not have been the largest consumers or smokers or anything like that but there are people that do study this because it's now now there's an ability to study it. Um, the taboos are still starting to go away, are starting to go away more rapidly than they have in the past. Uh, things are get, are losing stigmas overnight, in all honesty. You know, it's, Connecticut has had legalized cannabis for two and a half years, just about. So yeah. from when they actually legalized to when they started doing anything. So we currently have adult use sales, but it's not a huge news thing because it's not really exciting because the adult use sales we have are the exact same ones that were there for medicinal and there's nothing the last, new and there's right, nothing nothing new. that the individuals that have social equity aren't getting any of that help yet now and everybody's still behind the ball on all of it you know and that's one of those very stressful things because when is adult use cannabis actually going to be celebrated in the state it's going to be done individually through the social equity applicants and their partnerships and you know, universities that are putting things together and sponsorships that you're getting through community organizations. But the actual celebration hasn't been, you know, and uh, no. that's one thing that there's no reason to, you know, because no. what, what is there to celebrate right now? There's really not, not much you could celebrate out there, you know? No, only the opening of some new dispensaries, which just means there's more outlets to get the same the products same that product. they, we were getting before. Yeah like the exact same products and it's tough and I feel bad for some of the dispensary owners that are coming online that are social equity applicants because now they're forced to carry the same four branded products you know right. so it's not even where they can you know put a commitment to having locally sourced so even if their startup is you know we're committed to have locally local craft products through the social equity program they literally don't have anybody to sell from there. So now what are they doing? They're, yeah, nobody's gonna... ready yet. Yeah, yeah. So it makes it really tough. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. But I do see that there are people in process of getting ready. Yes, um, yes. You know, so obviously it's a question of patience, you know, being patient 
and just knowing that there are new people coming online who new are going coming in and this is where we say congratulations to our homeboy to our very good friend Kennard. you know Kennard right. got his license open he's starting things up so that's the first from at least the social equity portion of it you know that is the first social equity um, dispensary that has opened. So we give him and his partner a lot of credit for doing that quickly and rapidly. And I believe that is in Manchester, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it is. Yeah. So now the city of Manchester at least has um, a dispensary and a place where they can purchase some cannabis products legally. Um, and for those, I, I guess you could say for those who haven't been in the medical program, who are new customers who are just coming into it because it's legal now, um, these products might, you know, depending on their experience and their knowledge of cannabis, these products might be sufficient for them right now because they don't know what could be it's all they have and it's all they've ever seen if you know what i'm trying to say like they don't know what's been being sold over the last eight years from the other dispensaries so they're kind of um i would say i guess ignorant about it yeah um i get you, know. you. i get you you know but, they're okay, not so without we just jumped into a conversation where there's, there's so much more for us to even go through uh who are who's our guest today our guest is grant he is coming on in a couple of minutes grant smith ellis we all know him he's a good friend of the show and he's been on a, a few times um news yeah, and things like that so i'm excited about that yeah he's been doing a lot of investigated uh investigative work and uh, I wanted to have him on the show to give us a little update about what his findings are, uh, because it does affect our state. And well, it that's does. some of that stuff. But I also want to give another accomplishment. He's moving through law school as well. So right. I wanted to talk to him about that. Yeah. You know, he's got a great partnership and, uh, um, and he's doing a lot of things. And I think that the journalism and the investigative reporting go hand in hand with everything that he has going on and I think I wanted to make sure to point out he has a um, support service that kind of helps him through with Patreon I believe so that right. way if people are interested in learning even more he's got like an entire platform that he's able to divulge into all of his stories and all of his platforms and keeping him going too so it, it's interesting to see how everybody will find their place as we were talking earlier you know, everything for there's something for everybody. So journalism, legal advocacy, there's so many different routes to this. And just somebody who's the adult use consumer or the medical patient. Right, right. And, and you know, Grant is a fierce activist. I mean, he's he's fierce. He does not give up. And he is definitely a person that you want to have fighting for you if uh, if you uh you know, if you're if you're in the cannabis industry and just to hear that he's going to be, you know, studying to be a lawyer soon. Sounds like he's taken it to even another level where he could actually make a difference. You know what I mean? So that's a good thing, you know, in actually changing laws. You know, that's a huge thing. And having individuals that are interested in the legal side of it 
goes a really long way, Joe. It really does. You know, our good friend Jessica Gonzalez in New Jersey has really taken the IP portion, the intellectual property portion of it and expanded it through cannabis and has made a really um, trailblazing path for at least female lawyers as well. Then we have our friends in New York and even now in Connecticut, our good friend Aaron. Aaron is a big supporter of, of all the social equity applicants, people that are fighting for everything. She's first on the front line. So we really appreciate her as well. So having these good advocates in the professional services go a long way. The medical doctors, the psychologists, you know, like, uh, like Aaron, like Aaron, um, Aaron Doolittle. That's another yeah. professional who set her entire career along this path, you know? Right. So, so many professionals have done that, whereas they were in a different, an entirely different industry like Kieber was a nurse, a regular nurse, taking care yeah. of people, hospice. Aaron was a regular doctor. And they they gave that all up pretty much to go into cannabis. And so focus on you, cannabis as a main, main, main. Yeah, and that was a risk at the time that they did it. So oh, yeah. you got to give yeah. them credit. And it's still a risk. Give up a nice cushy job, you know, as a nurse or as a doctor and uh, and give that all up to go strike out on your own in an industry that's barely, uh, barely off the ground. So it looks like Grant has joined us. Grant, are you there? I am. It's very good to see you both. Uh, I really was appreciating that conversation and all those names you had been shouting out. So I'm, I'm glad to be with you today is what I'm saying. Excellent. Oh, Grant. We're always happy to have you, Grant. And, you know, that's where we show that anybody who's listening in whatever facet of whatever they're doing can choose to opt into at least participating still. Don't be scared because you you may be overqualified in one sector and then don't want to seem like you don't know something in a whole new place. But, you know, that's how it inspires individuals to push forward. Yeah. So, Grant, rather than give you a formal introduction... I think most people know who you are, um, but I wanted to just touch base with you about what's going on with you now. We were just discussing that you are now studying law. Well, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm an academic. I don't actually know if I'm going to formally become a lawyer, uh, perhaps much to my mother's uh, chagrin, who might actually be listening to this today. Uh, she thinks she thinks I'm finally on to a story that's um, big enough to be on her radar, which I'm very proud of. Um, but uh, no, nonetheless, I, yes, I'm an academic. I'm studying law. I really want to teach. Um, I'm very interested in the overlap between sort of the cogency of public discourse, our structures for writing laws and regulations, and the way corporations try to undermine that process by, for example, hiring uh, corrupt lawyers who um, who are willing to sell their souls for a lot of money, which I won't do. So, but that's a topic for another day. That is a topic for another day. But um, yeah, besides that, you are you have been out there uh, chasing a real hot story. Um, you know, doing a lot of investigative journalists and you've basically been doing them uh, on a company that has some kind of roots in Connecticut uh, and actually has a, a large presence here. So why don't you tell us about your your investigation that's been going on and, um, you know, why did you decide, you know, to pursue this and a few of the things that you have found? 
Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you, you are absolutely correct. Uh, there's a few Connecticut uh, uh, ties to this story. The first, of course, uh, this is not the first time I've been on this show talking about uh, Cureleaf, the multi-state operator being under investigation. This might be the first time we talk since it was formally announced originally by Zach Huffman with CT News Junkie and then confirmed by CT Insider that uh, the Connecticut Consumer Department, uh, Department of Consumer Protection is investigating Cureleaf, which is, of course, a Connecticut medical uh, dispensary. I think adult use now, too, but we'll talk about mm -hmm. that in a minute. Um, so there's that Connecticut tie. And then, of course, what you just mentioned, the company we're talking about, Cureleaf, was uh, at a time, uh, at one time, and perhaps still the world's largest cannabis company. It was in December of 2022, just a few months ago, operating in 21 states in the United States. Today, it is operating in only 18, having since the beginning of um, uh, January uh, 2023, shuttered operations in California, Oregon, and Colorado. Uh, so this is a company that, of course, folks who have been following this story will know is under intense scrutiny for a number of reasons, but not particularly because on December 22nd, 2022, Matt Bernardini and Scott Stedman from the investigative outlet Forensic News uncovered through um, the uh, Journalism Collective Dedicated Denial of Secrets, a substantial number of documents up until that point hidden from the world indicating that Roman Abrahimovich, the sanctioned oligarch from Russia, sanctioned in Canada, the UK, and the EU for his ties to Russian President Vladimir Putin, had through a series of uh, Cyprus-based investment vehicles funded not only Cureleaf to a large extent, but a number of other players in the American cannabis industry, including but uh, not limited to some software platforms, uh, Flowhub, uh, the delivery platform Ease, uh, the multi-state operator acreage slash tilt and others. But what is of interest here is that on January 19th, following about a month of prodding from myself, the Massachusetts Cannabis Control Commission, January 19th, 2023, the Massachusetts Cannabis Control Commission released a statement to myself that Thursday, uh, which said that they were, uh, they could not comment on three specific allegations that had been raised against Cureleaf, the Russian financing, the, op, the hidden Russian financing by uh, Abrahimovich, the operation of an unlicensed testing lab in Newton, Massachusetts, dating to 2019, according Ooh. to staff complaints, and uh, the unlicensed operation without the permission of the DPH, uh, the Massachusetts Department of Public Health, for at least six to eight months of a rad source radiation machine at their Webster cultivation facility. The CCC on January 19th gave me a statement saying, we cannot comment on any of those three specific questions or allegations because of a pending inquiry. That was the first time that uh, there had been confirmation anywhere that a regulatory body was uh, looking into Cureleaf. That mm. uh, January 19th report started off a series of um, other reports in Barron's, in Vice News, in um, VT Digger, in CT News Insider, as I mentioned, um, and others which indicated Cureleaf is actually under investigation in at least three states, Vermont, Massachusetts, and Connecticut, as I mentioned. And this continues. Uh, I also put in a public records request in January of 2023. I think it was January 11th. Uh, just last uh, two weeks ago now on March uh, 8th, I think it was Wednesday, uh, 2023, there was a responsive production to that um, records request specifically about the term Roman Abrahimovich. And as a result, uh, Eric Casey and I, a journalist from Burn After Reading, uh, used to work with Worcester Magazine, excellent journalist in the field, wrote an article 
You can go to ericcasey.substack.com right now and read the article. It, uh, the title is something like Internal Cannabis Control Commission Documents um, Confirm Agency Investigation into Cure Relief and Request for Federal Assistance. Oh, I wow. can't say very much more until tomorrow, maybe Wednesday, but I can tell you that on Friday, March 10th, the Cannabis Control Commission asked Eric Casey and I, multiple members of the Cannabis Control Commission staff, to take down that article, which as far as I'm aware, has never happened in the history of the United States for a government agency to ask two journalists to take down an, a story that was written on the basis of documents produced um, through a formal public records request. Um, and I, it, had, it was directly related to the content of the conversations that were in that story. And it is extremely concerning that it's happened. We still don't have answers. And what I'm telling you here today is that whatever this story was before March 8th, it has transformed into something completely different now. And folks who are interested in this, whether they're in Connecticut, uh, New England, or the United States or otherwise, should pay very close attention to the information that comes out in the coming days about what exactly happened, why that story came down, and what exactly is going on with this company that, as you said, started as this regional sort of conglomerate when Maine Organic Therapies and Massachusetts Organic Therapies and Palliatech combined to become Curalief, which was, again, a Connecticut company back in 2015. So that's where yes. we are. I'm sorry to lay it on you all at once, but that's the story. That is a lot to digest there, Grant. Um, I did get a request from somebody on Facebook. I guess they were upset that I didn't formally announce, um, introduce you. So um, are you still president of MR MC uh, MCRC? No, I... I can't comment on any investigatory matters pending before the attorney general related to an open complaint. So I'd prefer to just talk about the cure relief story, but I respect the person asking for an intro. Thank you. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to give it. Grant was studying political philosophy at Boston College, where he was double eagle in 2014, where he fell seriously disabled following complications from a surgery. After Grant, after falling disabled, Grant was introduced to cannabis by his doctor following an 18-month period wherein he was in and out of the hospital. As a result of his positive experiences with medical cannabis, Grant became involved with grassroots cannabis activism by the way of volunteering for a wide variety of organizations in the local cannabis space, where he was grateful to be to assist with anything from multimedia technology to regulatory policy development or otherwise. Okay, I just wanted to get that out of the way, Grant. Um, so back to Curaleaf, like, like you said, as you know, um, Curaleaf did start as a small little, uh, one grower in Connecticut, uh, and Pallet came and, um, per bought them basically, uh, consolidated with them and then took the name for their large, uh, corporation and used that name to spread it around, uh, the country. So now, you you know you talked about a few different things and one thing i listened to um and a podcast that you did i guess a couple of days ago and you were talking about how not only do they do all these things with um you know remediation they do they have all the this unlicensed testing lab but i wanted to start out with and we know this uh 
in Connecticut from our own experience being activists that Cure Leaf actively lobbies against home grow and and tries to do all kinds of things to uh to prevent states from passing home grow in their legislation and of course we found this in Connecticut which is why we had to compromise to a two-year wait uh before we did get home grow full adult use uh, cannabis home grow and come to find out they not only did it here but they do it in almost every state that they're involved in yeah and joe i think you highlight something that's absolutely crucial to this which is this is a bifurcated issue um, um the what cure relief is being investigated for and then at the same time their public policy stances over the past five yeah. to ten years but i think they're interrelated because one thing we didn't talk about is the people running this Cure Leaf company or what used to be Palliatech, let's be clear, it's Boris Jordan, Andre, A-N-D-R-E-Y, Block, B-L-O-K-H, and then again, allegedly, Roman Abrahimovich and his network of, of holding companies. Right. Boris Jordan and Andre Block were post-Soviet communist kind of oligarchs in the so in in Russia after in the in the 90s and early 2000s. And to make a long story short, after sort of an apartment bombing in um, Russia, I think it was in, che in Chechnya, and then sort of a, a theater siege in Moscow where the gas was used and stuff like that, um, Putin, President Vladimir Putin, really consolidated power. And he started um, or getting rid of the oligarchs and otherwise who he thought were disloyal. Well, one of those people was Boris Jordan, who uh, Boris Jordan is an American citizen with Russian heritage. And Boris Jordan in 2004 was the head of Russia's like TV regulator or it's like TV consortium, like state owned thing, whatever it is. Um, and he lost that position. And by 2007, this is something I talked about on the Growcast podcast you mentioned. Boris Jordan was providing secret confidential information to the ambassador, the American ambassador in Moscow. In uh, try, this was revealed via a leaked cable you can read about on projectcbd.org via a title history of cure, uh, an article entitled "History of Cure Relief Controversies." And that leaked cable revealed that Boris Jordan wanted the American government to develop closer economic ties between oligarchs and the West to foment anti-Putin resistance. And eventually, basically the implication was uh, facilitate regime change and overthrow Putin. Well, that didn't work, I think, as is quite obvious. But do you know who the ambassador, the American ambassador in Moscow was in 2007, Joe? Who? It was a guy by the name of William Burns. Uh, do you know what he does today? No. He's the director of the CIA. So it is, and I'm not saying this is, you know, 100% likely, but it is entirely possible that the American government has been cultivating intelligence sources for 10 or 15 years to try to use regime change and soft power politics to overthrow Putin. And when Putin obviously engaged in a reckless war of aggression uh, against um, Ukraine, that may have started to shift that um, those sources. And then I think with Saudi Arabia announcing over the last two weeks that they're realigning away from Israel with Iran, we could very likely be looking at like a triumvirate of Russia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and maybe China going up against NATO. And in that context, it makes a lot of sense that the US government and their intelligence assets would not be useful anymore in the context of trying to overthrow Putin. And one more thing to this. The guy at the center of all this, Roman Abrahimovich, 
you might say, you might be thinking to yourself, why would Putin ever allow someone to play both sides? Wouldn't that guy, that oligarch trying to flip uh, to the US be under threat? Well, you can go read in the Wall Street Journal or any num number of publications about how when Abrahimovic was trying to conduct peace talks between Ukraine and Russia last year, he was poisoned, which I think we know oh. is the modus operandi of the Russian state. So yes, something yes. is going on here. I don't know why Kiraleaf was allowed to get away with a lot of this behavior that would have resulted in any other company being subject to intense scrutiny. But I think we're going to find out more. And I'm almost certain there are geopolitical ramifications. Thank you for letting me uh, rant about that. That's OK, Grant. Um, this is something we've known in Connecticut for a long time. We we yeah. have been telling our legislators about Boris well, and the Russian consortium for no, ages, and they never you, listen. Kiraleaf is the Connecticut name. Like yeah. they weren't cure leaf until they bought cure leaf in Connecticut. Right. And changed the whole name. Yep. Yep. Um, and so we have been who they are is normal. That's what we've known. Now it's just being pushed, pushed out, you know, but that's, I'm, this is exciting. Right. Lou, didn't you have somebody in the studio you wanted to say hello? Oh yeah. Real quick. So we actually had to stop by real quick. So to hear, introduce yourself real quick, because uh, we'll have you on the show, too. And I know that you just met Grant a couple days ago as well. What's up, Grant? Oh, my God. Is there anywhere I don't run into you? Isn't that funny? Hey, everybody. Uh, Tahit Chappelle, he, him. Um, yeah, do a couple things. But, you know, cannabis journalists uh, trying to improve the conditions in Pennsylvania, which are slow, but slowly getting heated up. And then I live in Jersey, so, you know, dealing with the legalization in jersey so that's uh and this is a topic that's gonna probably follow you guys around too oh yeah oh yeah mm -hmm. oh yeah you guys yeah good well and you guys have met so maybe sometime uh you can uh share notes and maybe uh uh join in on the investigation uh because i believe cure relief has holdings or will have holdings in jersey and pennsylvania am i correct grant uh, yeah, no, they definitely do. And I think it's a little bit weird that the New Jersey CRC has yet to comment publicly uh, about whether or not they're investigating this company. And I encourage folks to follow Freedom is Green on Twitter. Uh, Chris Goldstein, he has been uh, covering Cureleaf's involvement in the New Jersey uh, medical market since 2014, uh, along with Chris Roberts at The Guardian. He's probably the most informed source on this company. Uh, Mona Zhang at Politico is also really informed. You should read her article um, um, how, about Maine's mom and pop uh, scene, uh, caregiver scene, sweating corporate gentrification. I have a question for our distinguished guests, though. Uh, we were talking the other day uh, about how the cogency of public discourse can protect the integrity of the republic, and in particular, how amalgamating as many perspectives as possible on a given news event, person, or situation can create informed consumers of information that help protect the integrity of the lawmaking process. Can you comment a little bit on how the work you do with your journalism oversight project sort of facilitates that and also what you think about the modern media landscape are you hopeful or pessimistic uh modern media corporate media is it is what it is it's corporate media it's it's um a monopoly by uh certain um companies that uh dominate the airwaves and are reducing what newspapers used to be for the american public which were um accessible and affordable and now they're dominated by capitalistic mindsets and everything is kind of collapsing right now. So, um, you know, in Philadelphia, there's a there's a 
a local community radio station called Philly Cam, WPPM, and to see how actual day-to-day -day people are actually creating their own media, talking about their own narratives, talking about the history, and then reading something like the Philadelphia Inquirer or watching um, the local TV stations completely have a different reality in what they project. It's kind of jarring to see, you know, um, Philly is a, is a highly, um, highly black city, 44% black population, a, um, a city that's suffering from a 25% poverty rate. Um, they call it, you know, one of the biggest poorest cities in the country. And um, to see how the media kind of completely overlooks poverty as a root cause of what we're experiencing, which is high gun crime violence, um, high amount of incarceration, a lot of opioid crisis happening as well. Um, community often um, doesn't get represented in a way that people are actually coming up with solutions that are addressing these root causes, but they're not being supported by city government. They're not being given the amount of money and supplies. And instead, places like police are given more money, and that continues to dominate the narratives of the, uh, by corporate media. So um, I think one thing that we need to start doing is we need to start in the way that what I love about the cannabis space is really start identifying how these corporations are trying to monopolize mm -hmm. um, and, and really oppress um, civic engaged people from actually being able to hold government accountable right. and change the discourse on these narratives. You know, and that's a big one for us to at least say thank you to our radio show that allows us an independent radio here in New Haven and all independent radio stations and TV stations. And that's a really big thing because independent right. media needs to still be present and still needs to be able to operate. So that's a huge, huge thing. So and at least our space, Pro Cannabis Media, we're happy for those guys. We're happy for the Green Haven Media, dude. Harry, this is where it comes down to you, the guy behind the scene. And this is a public thank you for for doing all of that and yeah, for uh, putting us on the air yeah man <laughs> and grant you mentioned i think project cbd um i think one of the founders uh of that uh organization wrote a really great book called smoke signals and he also co-founded um uh, a media advocacy and media watchdog group called fair highly recommend checking out fair very dope wow yeah, See, cool. you never know where the conversation is going to go on cannabis corner when it's a uh, cannabis inspired right yeah that's right man it's great to have another guest on in the show i like it no um, it's just popping it's just a popping pop the pop in man just to hang oh. out with you and and it turns out they know each other and they're in the same field so that's great yeah uh, it's like, uh, you, do it, you know we're a hub wherever we are we're a hub for a community so stop in anytime hang out speak your mind have fun it's a great place of meeting of minds here at the offices, you know? Yeah. And, and Grant, in, in answer to your question, I believe the future of media is going to be um, independent and alternative media making a comeback um, because the mainstream media is definitely loosening watchers and listeners. And I think people are starting to realize that if they want real news and if they want the truth, they have to go to other sources. So that is why it is so important to do what you do and put it on places, you know, like there are places out there now like Substack and there are places now where independent journalists can actually get their work out and actually get it viewed. Um, so yes, I think that is kind of a, a blowback to what has happened to corporate media. Oh, absolutely. And I'll make one comment and then I'll respond to, to what your great insight there as well, Joe. So um, 
earlier uh, a few times it was brought up, you know, the policy questions at issue. I think a lot of the corporate um, um, subversion of activism and of the media space is really designed so that the, the, their, um, their policy moves aren't like the subject of mass movement. Um, and movement politics. And in particular, that shows through in the cannabis industry in a few ways. One, MSOs love pushing for police task forces to target the unregulated market. They tried it multiple times in multiple states. It failed every time because they get called hypocrites uh, and they look like idiots for snorting cocaine um, while trying to get people arrested who are their competitors and they know it. Um, right. The other thing that they try to do is they um, try to engage in regulatory capture like they did in Maine, uh, the MSOs, Theory Wellness, Cureleaf, and others to try to use regulatory agencies to shut down uh, competition like mom and pop caregivers that they see as a threat. That also failed because, again, activists mobilized in Maine, got LD1242 passed and, and, and saved uh, that, the integrity of and, and that program. That's uh, a great thing, program up there, too. Yep. And on, in New York, these same companies, Pharmacan, otherwise tried to ban home grow and they've done it in other states as well, because, again, they see it as a threat to their profit. Boris Jordan, the chair, uh, executive chair of Cureleaf, the person we're talking about, did a Twitter space interview. You can find the audio where he said equity is bad because licenses are being given to felons and people with two heads and criticism of Cureleaf borders on racism. Now, that's one point. The second point is, I am hopeful because of what you said, Joe. There is a modern media digital landscape that facilitates people who want to be informed consumers of information engaging with our government, our public sphere, these important topics of, of the oversight of cannabis and other markets like railroads, for example, the situation with mm -hmm. uh, Norfolk Southern and East mm -hmm. Palestine, Ohio and other cities. Mm -hmm. This is revolutionizing how government is he held accountable. We haven't seen a movement like it since the muckrakers of uh, the Teddy Roosevelt era, Upton Sinclair writing about tuberculitic beef, um, Eda Tarbell writing about Standard Oil, uh, Northern Security, um, Lincoln Steffens writing about uh, Boss Tweed in St. Louis. This, this uh, modern social media landscape, as poisonous as it can be, is also mm -hmm. a tool of liberation because it refocuses the discourse on the public policy moves of these corporations that are used to getting whatever they want, right, right. centralizing control over markets, pulling up the ladder, and then before anyone knows what happens, any criticism of what they've done is anti-American. This is not what the, we're seeing movement politics the other way, which is corporations who try to do this, especially with oligarch-backed money, are the threat to America, as they should mm -hmm. be rightfully be seen. Yeah, well, right now we're in a conflict with Russia. The last thing we need is a lot of Russian money uh, flowing around here. And, and you know what, Grant? I when I lived in California in 2009 um, and I was a medical patient there, I found that almost every dispensary out there was Russian owned, had Russian owners backing it behind it. And, and it was well known and nobody said a word and nobody cared. Yeah, I'll break some news here for you, um, because why not? Right. Like I'm good at this and I have sources who've confirmed it. And uh, I will tell you that um, David Block, uh, Andre Block, the gentleman who we mentioned earlier, he has a son named David Block. Any journalist listening to the, listening to this who want to really dive into something, look into David Block's role in Cureleaf or Palliatech uh, dating back to 2015, in particular in California. And look at the money he was spreading around. Look at how that money got to the companies it did. And uh, not only that, 
someone should ask Curaleaf, where are David Block's um, records? Like, I know they exist. I, I absolutely know for a fact that David Block was employed by Curaleaf. The reason why I know is I have three sources in the company uh, from different states who saw him come to their facility, right, as an employee. So he must have worked for them. Uh-huh. Where is he? Now, the answers to these questions, I think, will begin to hint at what you're talking about, Joe, which was this, in my opinion, was not just about Curly. This was about an oligarch looking at the American sort of financial markets and saying, how can I do there what we did in post-perestroika Russia in the 90s? How can I centralize control? How can I play both sides of the Russian-American conflict to get the American government to enable me under the auspices of uh, cooperation for the purposes of overthrowing Putin, which clearly was never going to happen? If that's what's going on here, if there's some high-level intelligence network that thought enabling this kind of structure in the cannabis industry of all places was a good idea, I think they've just run into the inevitable backlash from that, which is the fact that regulatory agencies in this industry take this highly regulated commodity seriously, and we're not just going to look the other way as this situation Mm -hmm. unfolded. And that's what I think we're looking at here. These regulatory agencies in Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Vermont stumbled onto something that they weren't supposed to find, and their investigations are already started, the toothpaste is out of the tube, and now we're looking at how are they going to respond to this, all of the parties involved. Right. Wow. It's a it's it's a tangled web when you really start looking at it. You know, from the surface, it looks kind of simple. Caroleaf is a big corporation, has Russian investment, but when you dig deep into who that is, you know, you find connections to all all kinds of different places that you never thought you would. And like you said, especially in the cannabis industry. Um and you know, it's 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 the typical corporate playbook. You know what I mean? They use it in big tobacco. They use it in big alcohol. They use it in big pharma. This is, you know, and, and it's a shame to see it happen in the cannabis industry. Um, I think a lot of people saw it coming. So like here in Connecticut, we made sure that they put in some microcultivator licenses to try and cultivate a craft cannabis market to kind of provide an alternative to the corporate um because you know if you're looking at the landscape in connecticut we do have a few nice good independent growers coming online soon but there's also the corporations are also sponsoring a bunch of people too so uh you know it it's this is not Cureleaf's first offense we've been investigating Cureleaf for mold and remediation here for years they've gotten busted here in connecticut a couple times for having moldy product um so you mentioned before this rad machine um tell our listeners a little bit about what that is and how it affects the cannabis product Oh, absolutely. Uh, Just two quick things before we get there. One shout out to the people trying to bring a main style caregiver uh, system to Connecticut. Um, Even if it's in the limited framework, uh, that is the way you reduce prices. Uh, Patient access in that context is all that matters. There shouldn't be people in Connecticut who are desperate and unable to access medicine because a bunch of dispensaries want people to pay artificially inflated prices due to a dearth of supply. Um, The second thing is shout out to 
Connecticut Bill HB 6787, which would uh, rapidly uh, advance the way in which expungement and other uh, prosecutions related to cannabis currently happening still to this day in Connecticut are treated and make sure they're, they're never again brought uh, before the justice system. The rad source machine. Okay, so according to, and you can read all of this from my January 19th, 2023 piece on my Patreon. It's free, it's public, it's on a few other publications. Uh, according to staff uh, at Cure Relief, I uh, can uh, across multiple departments dating back to 2020. Curaleaf uh, bought a rad source machine, which is used to irradiate cannabis flower to ensure it can pass testing. This is a widely used practice in the cannabis industry. In fact, in Canada, all of their cannabis flower uh, is irradiated and the government cannabis regulatory oversight website has a section dedicated to the labeling requirements. Now we don't have that in Massachusetts. There's no requirement that these companies uh, per CCC or any other department uh, have uh, disclosed this uh, radiation-based remediation. But the reason why they should do it, uh, and we'll start here with this is twofold. One, when cannabis flower is irradiated, it involves heat which um, turns um, uh, 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 delta uh, uh, THCA into delta-9. It basically de decarboxylates the flower a little bit. And secondly, um. it, it, yeah, it also radiation degrades the terpene profile, which is not just the flavor of the bud, it's the holistic entourage effect created right, by the that medicinal terpene benefits, profile. right? Exactly. So the, it, if it's going to be irradiated, it should at least it at least be labeled, at least be labeled. But that's not what we're talking about here. What happened here, according to staff complaints, is that in 2020, Cureleaf uh, obtained a rad source machine, but they did not go to the Massachusetts Department of Public Health to obtain proper certification for that machine until September of 2021. How do I know that? Because the Massachusetts Department of Public Health told me that Cureleaf didn't obtain a certification for their x-ray cabinet, which is a rad source machine, until September, I think it was 18th of 2021. So according to staff complaints, dating back to 2020 at some point, the Cureleaf uh, facility in Webster, Massachusetts had this um, rad source radiation machine being used. There were no personal protective equipment devices, including something as simple as a Geiger counter provided to staff mm. until months into the um, operation of the cabinet. And when the cabinet was inspected, according to staff complaints in September of 2021, it was presented to regulators from the DPH as being new. Now, these allegations, when brought to the D DPH, resulted in a formal confirmation on the record to me, which I reported on social media, from a DPH spokesperson in Massachusetts, that the company's use of that x-ray cabinet prior to its uh, licensure in September of 2021, pursuant to employee complaints in my reporting, was under investigation. So now we know it's not just Connecticut, Vermont, and Massachusetts looking into the Russian financing. Curaleaf's also being investigated for irradiating this cannabis, perhaps before they had permission to do so. So that's the second element of the story. Wow. So now are they using this irradiated cannabis for flour, or is this just turned into concentrates and edibles? This is flour going to the market, and I'll explain to you why it's happening. In Massachusetts, as folks probably know, we have some of the strictest uh, microbial mold and other contaminant testings in the country. Uh, I mean, we have some standard. of the loosest. 
Okay, yeah, but um, in, in some sense, this is bad uh, for microbials in particular, because it means no outdoor flower can pass mm. in Massachusetts. And that's a big issue that folks are working on. And that's important. But now let's talk about this indoor cultivation that Curaleaf's doing. Uh, the testing standards for mold and things like that are strict on purpose. And Curaleaf, you can look at pictures on an Instagram account called Massachusetts underscore MIDS, M-I-D-S, and you'll see uh, recent pictures from an employee who leaked them out of Curaleaf's Webster Mass facility of the kind of mold you're, they're seeing on their product and bud. My sources tell me uh, powdery mildew and other types of mold were first introduced to their Webster facility as early as 2018 or 2019 because of a clone brought from Maine and also because when Curaleaf uh, purchased ATG's former cultivation facility in Amesbury, that was contaminated because of the way workers' uh, sanitary practices were going on, which continued. And sources tell me that the uh, Amesbury Curaleaf team, once Curaleaf owned that cultivation facility, had a bad reputation. And when they would come to Webster, people didn't want to let them near the plants. Um, now that's, mm. so, so, so that's, that's kind of the origin of the mold, but let's go back to why they're remediating. To get these flowers onto market, Curaleaf gets to select, or any company in Massachusetts gets to select a flower for a sample collection. They get to do whatever they need to do with it, dry it out, remediate it, put keef on it. Then they get to send it to a lab. Now, if it passes, great. This is batch te testing. Everything from that batch can go to market. Obviously, it's got to be cleaned you, up. Yeah, it can't look yeah. dangerous. Uh, but then, uh, allegedly, on top of that, there's also this issue of um, the testing lab itself, right? So a lot of labs in Massachusetts right now, uh, Commissioner Kimberly Roy actually has been bringing this up at Public uh, Cannabis Control Commission meetings for months, dating back to August of 2022. Labs in the state of Massachusetts have been accused of basically passing product they would otherwise know is contaminated. Mm. So you have this dual problem of companies like Cureleaf who might have contaminated product, or it's actually a tripartite problem. First, they get to irradiate the cannabis sample before it even goes to testing. Second, they get to select their own sample to send to the lab for batch testing. And third, they get to pick their own lab, which means they can send it to a lab who maybe, I don't know, has a perverse incentive to attract- with, well, no, a lab who has a perverse incentive to attract more clients by mm -hmm. passing contaminated product mm -hmm. and inflating THC results. So the CCC has proposed creating a state-run standards laboratory, not to test commercial product, but to catch labs and dispensaries trying to manipulate samples to prevent moldy, dangerous product from getting onto market with inflated THC results as high as 44%, which as far as I'm aware is not possible with flour. No, not unless they've discovered something new that we haven't heard about yet. So, wow, that is, see, and, and it just shows how far corruption can actually go. You know, you would think the testing lab would be your gatekeeper to make sure that the product that goes to market is good and that's what the state expects and that's what the consumer expects and then to find out that these testing labs themselves are not always on the up and up that kind of makes people lose faith you know in the system and you know and they wonder you know and then and, and then this happens in connecticut quite often you know they'll find flour with bu bugs in it and and you know moldy flour passes through the inspection gets actually put into the containers 
and shipped off to the dispensaries. So where's the quality control? You know, where is the quality control in these places? Well, and I, and I think it's also like shortcuts. For example, in Massachusetts, you don't need a radiation machine. You just need to invest in proper dehumidification. And like I was mentioning, employee uh, sanitary practices and hygiene uh, in the facility. Uh, that's what you have to do. Uh, but for some of these companies, they can't. Um, now, there, was, uh, there are a number of other issues here with uh, the standards laboratory. But the fundamental insight, the fundamental insight is for the same reason we don't allow people to vote on basic fundamental rights. We do not trust public safety to a profit generating model. No mm -hmm. testing lab should be operating for profit. We've created a dangerous system. And if they are going to operate for profit in any state, you need a state run standards lab run entirely at state expense with no profit motive at all, overseen by a, an agency with integrity to check and balance that profit-driven testing industry. We've created a monster in America by making everything about profit, public health, public safety, and basic rights should not be a matter of profit. That's the bottom line. All right, Grant, I'm sure you saw the message. We got two minutes left. I really appreciate you coming on and giving this insight. And I don't even think we've gotten halfway through what we could have done. But um, give us a little bit. How can people get in touch with you? Where can they find your work? Um, is there a place they can go to link to a lot of these articles you talked about? I know you have a Patreon. Give it all out to us right now. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Joe, for having me. Thanks to everyone who puts this together. All of my social media, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Grant Smith Ellis. Um, Twitter is where I'm the most active. You can find an archive of all this. Uh, all of my work is free to access. I believe the only way that we can protect this republic style of democracy is to have free access to information. But if you want to support me with a small donation, you can go to my Patreon. Um, and although you'll get my articles 30 minutes early, they are free after that 30 minute embargo. So thank you for supporting independent journalism, Joe. Thank you to your listeners. Thank you to this station. I'm grateful for all you do. And I was grateful to be here. Thank you, Grant. And it's always a pleasure. We hope to see you at NECAN. I hope you can come down and make the trip in Connecticut in May. We'd love to have you down there, maybe even speak on a panel. Um, but we, because, you know, Cureleaf is in our state. Um, so uh, we hope to see you there. But we really always appreciate you coming on and the great insight that you have. Um, and you can find him at grantsmithellis.com as well. And just search Grant Smith Ellis on all your social media on and especially patreon if you want to support him lou any last words but no 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 last words thank you again to our guests we really appreciate you and giving so much insight uh everybody stay happy healthy man. all right and you can find me at joe the weed guy at greenhaven media and uh you can find us on youtube at uh greenhaven media as well thanks again for listening we will see you all next week Until I got high <laughs> I was gonna get up and find the broom But then I got high uh, My room is still messed up And I know why Why, man? Yeah, hey, cause I got high Because I got high Because I got high
I got high. Come on, y'all. Check it out. Uh, uh, I could have cheated and I could have passed, but I got high. Uh, uh, la, da, I'm taking it next semester and I know why. Why, man? Yeah, hey, cause I got high. Because I got high. Because I got high. Go to the next one. Go to the next one.